you really need a bit of everything, but I, I really think you need to give your kids some accurate understanding of the text that we have to your best of your ability, and then you have to show them. You have to live it out. Just to demonstrate, as I said before, that it works. Mm. Like, it can be done. It can be done. Hello and welcome. I'm Tanya Reason, and this is The Gospel According to Mum the show where we discuss the transformational work done in us by Jesus Christ as we live out motherhood and discipleship with Him. Thanks for joining us for the fourth and final part of our Rest and Recap special episode, co-hosted by Ben Reason. In this part, we're remembering our episode four guest, Helen Bartlett, and discussing the disconnect between our worldly values and what is the ultimate value. Hello, Ben. Hi. Thanks for being here again for this part four of our special episode seven. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? It is exciting. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited about this one tonight because, oh, it's going to be a big one. We'll try and keep it into a, in a reasonable time frame, but there's a lot to talk about. And we're going to talk about value tonight because that is that was the theme that screamed out at me throughout Helen's episode. It seemed to be... It just seemed to be so deep into everything that she did. I mean, her story was a long story of just endurance and faithfulness. It was a long, quiet, faithful journey. And when you think about that in the context of the world, those stories are very rarely valued, unless there's some big explosive moment where everyone goes, ha-ha, all that faithfulness yeah, was worthwhile. If it doesn't have a handy take-home at the end, people don't yeah, really remember. because she got this golden trophy mm. or something. And I don't know what's going to happen in, in God's plan for Helen's life, but I think it would be foolish for any of us to assume that at some point the golden trophy is going to turn up because really the golden trophy is the reward of eternal life for faithfulness to God, isn't it? He is our very great reward. And sometimes it's hard to imagine that when you think, well, I want a trophy now. (laughs) I do. (laughs) Our daughter definitely wants one. (laughs) That's right. So let's, let's look back at Helen's episode, which I found deeply affecting, actually. The scriptures that she brought are all very similar in the imperatives that they seem to carry. The first one that came up in the episode was Psalm 126, 5 to 6. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. And Helen brought this scripture up in the context of her story around her first child, her first of six, that he was a very difficult child for reasons that she wasn't aware of at the time. It did turn out later that he was suffering from anxiety and was also on the autism spectrum. So there was a lot going on. Uh, There was also gastric reflux issues as well. So there was a lot going on for a new mother to have to deal with. And she was feeling overwhelmed with this and she was reading the Bible. She came across this scripture and she felt very strongly in that moment that God was speaking to her because her question in her heart was, why did you give me this child? This is so difficult. And she felt that God was saying to her that her task as a parent was to bring her children up to know God as she knew him. So we're going to talk a bit about value first as a parent. And what I want to know from you is, first, what are the values 
that you think are important for you to impart as a father? Really listening to that question, I've just become aware that mostly I think about skills (laughs) and Mm. not values. Like I was ready to say, well, uh, solid mental arithmetic and nice handwriting, (laughs) but that's not really a value. Okay, so maybe I need to reword the question. Maybe what what I'm really asking you is what can you give them that is of value? Again, (laughs) I was just thinking uh, money. Mm. um, Look, I think the most valuable thing that I'm going to give my kids is a demonstration that a lifelong relationship can work and that you you don't just bail out of a relationship because you can't see how it's going to end or you don't just accept someone's friendship even though they're quite awful to you that you soberly and sensibly find the people to invest your life in and when you choose to do it with a like-minded person it can be done actually but I think the value of the family model and valuing the family and the one the reason that sort of makes me uneasy and it's not the first thing that comes to mind is you have to demonstrate it I don't really know how to teach that I don't think that I have all the answers when it comes to family life but I do know that it is probably the most important thing that I'll do is just to demonstrate that it can be done Hmm. and it can be done well and I suppose ultimately it's one of the only things that's worth doing I've always felt that God is uh, so evident that he's a fact and as much as I've had fun working on arguments and apologetics and had a bit of fun with some philosophy, I've never felt as though it was particularly necessary. So I'm not really sure how you could instill your children with a value in God or the Christian faith any further than demonstrating that it works again as I, as I say just living it and showing it to be true and proving it can be done that's interesting because you spent a lot of time in the apologetic field and for you to say that it's not necessary is interesting because to have spent such a lot of time there <laughs> but I don't think it was just a hobby for you was it oh gosh look the f- Initially it was to come up with clever arguments to crush people who have flippant uh, things to say about the thing that I care about. And strangely, when I raced through all these scenarios in my mind of me devastating all contrary opinions with my incredible wit, the people in my mind were people that I loved as well. That's odd, isn't it? I don't know if anyone else does that. You prepare yourself to to take down a family member. Seems counterproductive, doesn't it? (laughs) Especially when you've just told me that the most valuable thing you can pass on Mm. is the family model. But that's a beautiful segue into what I was going to ask about later on. I'm going to ask it now. Because one of the things that Helen brought up was that she felt undervalued as a woman when she had to explain herself as a stay-at-home mother. And I know she's not the only woman that, uh, that I've come across who's felt that way, feeling the need to justify the work that's done in the home as legitimate work, even though nobody's paying you to do it, which is a strange thing to have to justify anyway. Yes. 
And now you're talking about spending a lot of time preparing yourself to have fights, to, to beat down people who are flippant about something that's important to you. Now, obviously, a mum who chooses to stay at home, and I don't believe there's any mum who chooses to do that without significant cost. A woman who chooses to do that clearly has determined that this is her priority value. This is something that she holds dear. So she is now having to justify the value of that. And you are also doing the same thing when you're preparing yourself for battles that may or may not ever come. So my question to you is, as a man, have you come across those, those sorts of difficulties in justifying your value by choosing to be a father? Is there, is there an equivalent for fathers? Hmm, I'm not sure if this is answering your question the way you intended it. I can tell you that every guy feels as though they must have the capacity to protect their family and shirking that responsibility or I don't know hoping your wife will sort out the bump in the night that that carries with it a real shame I remember vividly one of my very favorite pastors speaking <sighs> about that very thing and I remember him saying that if something goes bump in the night you must get up and go and yes, see yes. to it and if you don't I believe his words were Get yourself together. <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of thing is definitely... Look, that kind of instinct, along with many others, has sent lots of people off to wars or into jobs that they can't stand because there's an enormous amount of pressure that you should be able to do these things. <laughs> and that's why I exploded out of bed the other night when the smoke alarm went off. <laughs> <laughs> you did. <laughs> ten points, mm. ten man points for you. Yeah. You did. You, you. I didn't even know what was going on. I thought someone was crying. I was so bleary-eyed. I, I honestly thought the house was full of smoke for <laughs> those five steps. It's amazing I got down the stairs without hurting myself. <laughs> yeah. But hey, look, every night, that's my prayer, that if there's a problem beyond me, which is pretty much everything, I will need your help, God, because... We both know it has to be me, so it better be me and you. And luckily, no, nothing's burned down so far. Is that something that gets discussed in a public sphere, though? Do oh, you ever have to justify yourself? A bit. Um, of course, you know, every every kid growing up, if you're male, you're expected to not only be able to do it, but actually to also be able to brush it off. Sorry, the it is winning fights. I don't know any kid that's brought up knowing how to fight. And so for you, it's not just a physical fight. Oh, yeah. It's it's the mental fight and the then. apologetics, and it's the fight against the hypothetical danger situation. That's right. It's maybe it's a control issue. But when it comes to value, um, men are expected to be able to brush it off. They're expected to be able to solve problems, like that Liam Neeson had a taken. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to me how often that comes up in this podcast. Mm. <laughs> It's number two now. I don't even know if I could use that phone that he answered that call with. <laughs> it's a little bit difficult. So he's like, hold on, hold on. Where's speaker to stop for a second? Can I call you back? Um, but yes, I feel augmentations of that around the dinner table. As I've said before, I feel a slight pressure for my prayers to be head of the table quality prayers, when mm -hmm. in fact they're meandering music teacher prayers. So yes, I don't think that's just exclusively to me and my own hopes and 
about your vanities. I think that all guys do feel as though they should be able to brush off physical danger, like there's nothing to leap into action when they have to, and they have to actually be brave, climb tall ladders. That's incredibly important. Mm. And just be hyper-capable. And look, I've seen boys, I know it's hard to believe now uh, in schools, but it's still there, boys being uh, treated differently where they're expected to be able to brush it off and just deal with situations and they're given a lot of rope, which they promptly hang themselves with <laughs> because, <laughs> because they're meant to be able to just know how to do things. I think that is a value I've been instilled with. I can't say I've ever seen my father behaving in any of those ways. Mm. So maybe it was always there. It's curious that you bring that up because I was thinking just as you were talking that before I became a mother I felt like I was out of some secret club. I was outside this motherhood club Mm, and I was missing some capabilities because I didn't yet have children. And then once I got into the club by becoming a mother... I now find myself excluded from another club, which is a working woman club, where I'm doing both things at once and therefore not showing full capabilities. <laughs> it's bizarre, isn't it? <clears throat> so how is life in that club? And have all access privileges towards <laughs> oh, mother it's, wear, it's active a, wear? It's and... a heady sphere, <laughs> let me tell you. But the other thing that you mentioned there was when you were praying... And as soon as you started to talk about praying, I suddenly thought, who are you talking to? When you were worried about the way your prayers were sent, you wanted to have these, mm. you know, amazing architectural prayers. And I was thinking, well, who's listening to your prayers? And it reminded me of a friend who'd recently said to me that I needed to be careful curbing by what I might feel my calling is from God because of other people she said to me then you're pleasing people and not God and I think this is something that we all are fighting with all the time is these ideas these values of pleasing other people and I'm not talking about you know being the perfect mother here I'm talking about just the basic things of life the capabilities that you're talking about where we forget who's listening because we've got these these people in our head that we're living up to all the time absolutely there's many times in in the car when i pull up to work that yeah sometimes i'm feeling a bit rowdy towards god and goodness me i wouldn't pray that way in front of anyone else i don't know why i've never claimed to be a deputy of the trinity perhaps the the fourth person Mm. but you do want people to view you as having your act together and being so full of faith that you can't possibly question things i can see how it would be very pressurized being a pastor i guess you have to be honest this should be one of my values honesty Mm. it's one of your values i've noticed it is but i realize of late that i'm not as great at it as i thought because I think probably I fall prey to what we all do, and it goes back to Linda Chambers' episode, actually, and Genesis 3. And I think what Eve did when she took that apple was she turned herself into the idol. She became the idol, made an an image of a god, but completely reliant on a human perspective 
in control of everything, got rid of God, and was more concerned about what she was going to do than trusting God to lead her forward. And I think I am guilty of that almost every day. I find myself idolizing myself, in a sense, because my value is not pointed at God, but pointed out at the world. Certainly, I I feel as though... (laughs) I see that in you all the time. (laughs) No, I, I find it very tangled, actually. God gave me some abilities. You use them. It's nice to use things you're able to do. It's easy to get caught up in why you're doing it in the first place. Mm. But you really you're not gonna just I don't know, pop your coin under the under the bed or something instead of I beg your pardon, talent is the word I think. You're supposed to go out and use it. At least that's what that parable seemed to say. So I've been tangled so much. In fact I, I look back and I see a few things that I've done that I've realised have been so far from what I think those opportunities were for. Mm. And at the time, I really felt I was kicking some serious goals. It's easy to be selfish, so there you go. Now, being selfish is not one of the values I try to teach my children. (laughs) They're very talented at that particular (laughs) thing. Oh, they're just less good at hiding it. I mean, Mm. the things that they say and the way they behave is is not dissimilar to how I feel on a regular basis. It's just that I know that I can't do that because it would be naughty. It's hard not to value the things that you are because we all tend to think that we're on the right track a lot of the time, which is another another manifestation perhaps, or, or it can be the slippery slope into that personal idolatry, which is a concept that I've only just sort of come to grips with recently, so I'm, I'm toying with it a bit. I don't really quite know what to think about it. But. Mm, I, I just really want to say, oh, come on. We can't be all bad. (laughs) 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 Try this fruit salad. (laughs) Fruit salad. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we continue with this, well, let's look at a Christmas. Let's look at a Christmas example. Okay. So it's very difficult, isn't it, to fight against the flow of what people value. I mean, I went down to the shops the other day and I saw across the shopping mall banner is the season to be jolly and I was struck suddenly by the thought if you don't believe that Jesus was born to save mankind what on earth would you have to be jolly about and that evening actually we were dancing around the living room with the kids to a song that really stuck with me from my childhood it was Cliff Richards on the Saviour's Day it has had a powerful impact on my life and I didn't realize when I was a kid listening to it that it was a Christian song I mean, I didn't grow up thinking about that, but it's so Christian. He's calling you, you know. And we're dancing around in the living room with the girls. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about do we Santa, do we not Santa? And we as a family have agreed that we don't Santa because I can't find any thread of consistency personally. I know that's not true for everyone, but I can't. And so we've discarded that. But as I was dancing around, I was thinking... I bet this is a memory that they will keep. And then I thought back to my own Christmases. The things I remember, apart from one particular Christmas where we just got an avalanche of Barbie. That was, that was something else. That was, I don't know what happened that year, but it was amazing. But the thing that I remember at Christmas was not Santa, actually, or any of that kind of stuff. It was being with my family. 
and I'm pretty sure it's going to be the same for the girls that that, that memory of dancing so. around with mum and dad in the in the living room because mm. it doesn't happen that often oh, no, reasonably not. often but not not <laughs> as often every day I hope that they value that I hope they find even the right word I hope they cherish that because I think I've done my back in <laughs> dancing <laughs> with them <laughs> But it was, it was, it's family, isn't it? It's not any of the extra bits and yes. bobs. I struggled a little bit with the idea of value being subjective or objective values. And I just remembered, I just couldn't help but keep remembering that Lennox book on the shelf over there, The Breakdown of Nebuchadnezzar. So these idols were snatched. And he was a rich guy. He had wealth. And why do you want those things? Well, because they were from a defeated kingdom and they were valuable to them, so it was a great feather in his cap or something. But it was valuable to them because they'd set it aside for God. And I don't think God really needs candelabras and things made of gold. But as Israelites said, we are going to set this apart for God. And that made it valuable. And I was thinking, well, maybe he thought by owning them he was going to be the god in that equation. But honestly, I'm looking at it now, I think the whole story is the act of setting something aside for God has given it value. It felt right to stand up in front of church and say, everyone, we are going to be a Christian family now. Look at our tiny people and hold us to it. And that did give it value. Hmm. And Cliff Richard is fantastic, but lots of people are fantastic at singing. But he was singing a song about God and... He set that aside in his album with I'm Walking in the Air and a whole bunch of other Jingle Bells type things. Yeah. But that song was a, you could feel its value as a little child. And hey, I don't mind if they remember being together as a family and not that song. It'd be great if they had a great connection with God right from the get-go. But I don't think that there's anything wrong with valuing family because the family model came from God. Now, I'm not going to be a universalist here and say that all paths lead to God, but there can be more than one type of value, perhaps, if they reflect God's character. Well, mm. yes. I was actually, I'm actually going to say the opposite oh, and say go. there is one single value. Because when you were talking, Matthew 23, 18 to 19 popped into my head. And no, I didn't know it was Matthew 23, 18 to 19, but I knew the verse. And it's this, And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obligated. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Hmm. Now, I would say to you, and the point that you appear to have made to me, listening to you, is that what gives all of these things values is one single value, which is God. And I suppose that's where we're coming back to the scriptures that Helen brought Psalm 126, 5 to 6, she also brought up at the very end of her episode, Psalm 78, 3 and 4, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us, we will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. And the other scripture that she brought, which these three are in a, a set, if you like, what we didn't mention in the episode was Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 8. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. All of this is 
tell them about me, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So if I ask you the question again, what is the thing of most value that we can give our children? Your answer would be... (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can't give someone an experience of God. You can give them an accurate understanding of what we've learned through the Bible and an honest testimony of our experiences. So I'm sorry I'm sort of standing around the topic a little bit, but I'm not Mm. really sure how to sum it up in one sentence. I think you can't give your children belief. You're right. I can't can't draw them to God in the way that that, um, God would draw you to Jesus. That's his job. But that's not really what those scriptures are saying. They're, They're talking about telling people about God, telling your children about God. But these are the things that he's done. These are the things he's done in our life. And these are his commands. And then you would hope that your children would, they would be impressed on them in such a way that at some point everything would come home to roost, as they say. Certainly, and I think that's why I lent towards this demonstration approach. And I'm not going to follow along with saying, look, I'll just be a Christian so hard that that will be my evangelism. But I'm not knocking people's doors either. You really need a bit of everything, but I, I really think you need to give your kids just an accurate understanding of the text that we have to your best of your ability, and then you have to show them. You have to live it out. Just to demonstrate, as I said before, that it works. Mm. Like It can be done. It can be done. You have to make God number one. That should yeah. that that is to be your priority. Look, we made his image, so of course we will recognise his fingerprints on things. But all these beautiful things we've collected, all these powerful things, these righteous things, um, they're all just reflections of him. Mm. And every time we counterfeit it, it's very fleeting or destructive. Well, it's hard not to focus on the physical well-being of. Your children. Yes. And I don't think that's, I don't think, I'm not suggesting for a moment that you should not focus on the physical well-being of children. I think Mm. that the impulse there has been very strongly placed there by God because we're meant to take care of each other. But that is not the ultimate value. I was really struck when I went went as far as Briley for that concert, just how grateful everyone was that I drove out from this distance. And they said, oh, you know, we we don't get any artists out here. It was hilarious, someone calling me an artist. But they were so grateful. I think we've lost a lot of that. Because out there on that island, it's a huge family vibe. And there are people there who haven't left the island, like in 40 years or more. Mm. So strangers who'd come down just to be a part of their local social f- fling... That's something that they find really valuable and really extraordinary. And so, well, I've got a question for you. Just as we're in the Christmas season, okay, and just about everybody I speak to talks about being exhausted over Christmas. Have you ever been so grateful it exhausted you? <laughs> Has being grateful ever made you tired? No. No. It's only ever made me happy. 
should we not be full of gratitude on Christmas Day that Christ was born? Yes. I don't think it should be a wearying day. You're right. Well, that friend of ours who helped us find that dog, he said that the number one thing that made people happy was gratitude. Mm. Well, if you know who you're grateful to, it goes back to how we started. Mm-hmm. It is the season to be jolly. Well, why are you jolly? If, you, if you're not grateful to God for the Son of God being born on this day, what are you jolly about? And people frequently are not jolly on Christmas Day. But if you're full of gratitude that the Son was born and God's goodwill is for all men on that day, then your value is God, isn't it? That's the greatest value to you on that day. And we get swamped by all of these other values. Big presents, great big fat turkey, glazed hams oozing and... Oh, goodness me. No, lolly, yeah. lollies raining from the skies and, and presents, presents, presents and the shiniest wrappers and all of this stuff, which is lovely. And look, I'm doing presents. I love the Christmas tree. I'm not, I'm not a Grinch or a Scrooge by any means. But what is your ultimate value? I mean, there's just no way around it. If your ultimate value is God, then all is well. It does get lost. The person who puts up that tinsel does it because they value you. But the person who comes into that room and sees everything so bright and shiny, they kind of lose their marbles a bit. They don't think, oh, gosh, Grandma loves me a lot that she put this tinsel over my room hmm. they think shiny where's lollies <laughs> where's my presents like lollies yeah. your eyes <laughs> yeah look in all of these values we have at Christmas are baby's values I don't think a little one year old can really understand this day for Jesus which is probably not the day that he was born it all sounds a little bit vague and strange for them and it works it works well if we say look we're a family, we're here and we love each other. And these are these songs that we've been singing for hundreds of years and they tell a story too. And you haven't heard the story yet, but it goes like this. Like, oh, that's super valuable. Mm. But people don't really progress past it. Mm. We just add more layers of that kind of stuff. Maybe we should strip it back. I think you're right. Mm. Just get all that wrapping right off it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and have a look at the actual gift. Yes, I see what you're saying. Hmm. Well, I think we have probably sufficiently ruined everyone's Christmas. Okay, no presents. <laughs> um, it's a good thing we put this out after the day. <laughs> Although, now you might be feeling guilty. <laughs> I hope that's not the case. It can work. It can be a beautiful thing as long mm. as you keep just being grateful for yeah. the person who gave it to you. and. In the short term, you have relatives that's put food on the table for you, cooked it with you in mind. Wonderful. Mm. Oh, and also it tastes quite yummy. That's, mm. that's nice. That's right. But how often have we seen a lot of these dishes don't mean anything in adulthood? Because you can go down the street and buy expensive food anytime that's you right. want. Yeah. So it's not a special thing. So you start doing things like only having it once a year to yeah. sort of give it to value. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's the love, the love that comes through. And then, of course, the love of God. And here's our ultimate value. Well, thank you, Ben. Thank you for doing these episodes. It's been really interesting and fun. And I've learned things about you I didn't know. 
has after been these many, many, many long years of marriage. I think I've these many long minutes of interviews. <laughs> yeah. If only you knew the edits we had to do. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Hope we can do this again. Me too. Thanks for listening today. You can find out more about the show, our guests, and subscribe and download through all our channels by visiting thegospelaccordingtomum.com. If you'd like to review the scriptures we discussed, please visit the website for the references in Episode 7's show notes. For Episode 8, we'll be returning to our regular format with my guest Vanessa Heasley. Vanessa is mum to two teenagers. She rounds off our conversation of infertility and waiting for God for Season 2 of the show, and talks about mutual discipline between mother and child as her children increasingly make life decisions for themselves. In the meantime, be encouraged, friend, and remember the God who taught you to love will not leave you as you walk with him more and more at your own pace. I'm Tanya Reason, and you've been listening to The Gospel According to Mum. Till next time.